Progressive's Home Court Explorer lets you easily compare our direct rates with multiple companies. Now that we've covered something you could do, it's time for sports stuff you definitely could not do. If you were head coach, you would not have gone for it on fourth down. Your confidence in your play calling ability might be a little overblown, considering you're barely confident in which restaurant to order takeout from, let alone choosing a play in front of 70,000 screaming fans. But you definitely can use Progressive's Home Court Explorer to easily compare rates. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third-party insurers. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Austin, another three. Bang! The Houston Rockets. Now, with the second longest winning streak in NBA history. Liftoff will start in T minus 10 seconds. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6. This is Craig Ackerman, TV play-by-play announcer for the Houston Rockets. What's up, everyone? This is Jackson Gatlin, host of Locked on Rockets. This is Chris Chavez. This is your boy, Heezy, a.k.a. Raheel Ramzanali. It's Sean from Shots and Thoughts. This is Will, a.k.a. Bias Houston. This is Chucky Brown, former NBA basketball player for the 1995 NBA champion Houston Rockets. This is Timoteo Keister. What up, what up? It's Roosh Williams, the Mastodon himself. What's up, Rockets fans? This is Hollywood Don Knock. This is Devin White, a.k.a. The Gentleman. It's your boy, Von Wafer, former Houston Rocket, retired professional NBA basketball player. Five, four, three, two, one. We have ignition. This is Jonathan Sanford, public address announcer for your Houston Rockets. You're listening to The Summit State of Mind. What is going on, everyone? You are listening to The Summit State of Mind, the podcast of Dream Shakes and Step Backs. And everything Houston Rockets presented by the Minute Media Podcast Network and the official podcast to fan site. It's Houston Rockets website, spacecityscoop.com. I am your host, your commissioner, Kenny. Of course, with me as always is my brother, my tag team partner, the GM, Justin. First complaint straight out of the gate, GM. I am, it is so hot outside and I'm a teacher and it was recess and I, I was so angry. Proof that a man should never ever ever do hot yoga in his life and you're looking at him over here i am over here i, I just i hate the heat but uh how you doing today good start <laughs> i'm not, how you I'm doing not today? jealous i'm not jealous of you i'll tell <laughs> you that like it, i don't know if any of our listeners know but kenny and i uh growing up we were people we were kids that sweat quite a bit shamefully so kenny is the one who always complained growing up always he's like it's so hot out here okay well let's talk well real quick before we transition to any of this (laughs) let me just explain it okay so the shirt and 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 my body and i can feel it and and like i can feel it and it's it's uncomfortable i anyways let's not let's not have a deep dive into sweat and i would like to do a whole podcast talking about kenny's body i'm just gonna put that out there that would do numbers oh my gosh (laughs) My man, the even, download my man didn't even let me introduce <laughs> him properly, but obviously, if you can hear by the by the by salubrious and uh, se- sequacious sound of his voice, uh, we are obviously bringing on somebody 
who is returning <laughs> to the summit. And let's see if I can give him his proper intro once again. He is the host of Locked On Rockets, host of the Locked On NBA on Mondays, co-host the State of the Rockets, and the founder of the Clutch City Control Room. Let's welcome back Triple J, Jean Jacket Jackson, back at the summit. How you doing, my man? Triple J in the house. I am doing phenomenal, my guys. It's so, I'm so excited to be here back at the summit with both of you. Um, shout out to the intro. It got longer than the last time I was on here. So there, there's, it's a bit of a mouthful now, unfortunately. Um, but, me. you know, I, I just, you know, had to, had to chime in there. The fact that, you know, we could, we could do a whole, a whole podcast, just derail everything from the jump, which, you know, three minutes in, I think that's impressive. Uh, just talking about, Kenny's body, I guess, but we'll go a different route today, right? <laughs> We're going to go slightly different. I can't look as much as the people would want it. I would love them to talk about sweat and sweating on people's bodies. And I'm sure that there's definitely a ton of podcasts out there that could cover that. I don't know. How, I don't know the market of it. But we're definitely not going to be covering that today. Today is going to be a very fun episode, a very different episode. And I'm, I'm thinking we're probably like 30 or 40 episodes out from the last one that we did. We are going to hop in the DeLorean. We are going to rev that baby to 88.8 miles an hour. Crank up the gigawatts to 1.21. And we are going to travel all the way back to 2007-2008 for the Houston Rockets are first rocket perspective of the offseason i'm so happy that i can get the both of y'all on here for this um the 07 if only to oh. defend the legend that is tracy mcgrady because we already know how you feel about t-mac okay okay look his oh. mind might have changed but we do know that the slander is you know as is out there is out there for everyone it to is. hear. It's not. Look, look. It's not. The receipts sl- exist, Kenny. Stop trying to. <laughs> stop trying to. It's like, backtrack, not bro. slander. Unless you've started deleting tweets, like, <laughs> it's or, not- or whole podcast episodes. It's not. It's really not. I. I, I have to. Re- I have to stand true to this. This is just past experiences here on my part. It's. Uh. It's not slander if it happened in all technical terms. <laughs> man said it's not slander if it's facts it's not slander (laughs) if it's considered facts that i got passed up on an airplane so that happens that's life but (laughs) but to be honest boys uh to to take it to hearken back into this in 2007 2008 the only way you can do this is to backtrack all the way back to the 2007 playoffs Houston Rockets versus Utah Jazz. Houston had home court advantage as the fourth seed against the Utah Jazz as the fifth seed. And it was a well-fought series. It was a very hard-fought series. And it ultimately ended in a very heartbreaking seventh game against Utah in Houston. Um, Not being able to grab any offensive rebounds whatsoever. But it was so heartbreaking in terms of the fact that like this team was ready to get over the hump. And the fact that this team had they had golden state in the second round because they had beaten you know that juggernaut of dallas it was the one eight seed and then the eight seed beat the one seed so we actually had a path to the conference finals even following that but i want to direct it over uh to you first gm in regards to that where were where were you when that game seven went down and how did you feel because i've heard the story many times but i think it'd be cool that you put it out there for the people so they can know i was at home i was at home shout out to my two friends my junior year of high school, Johnny Murphy and Chris Bereznak. Those are the two friends that I was with watching game seven. I remember we got, I don't remember what food we got, but we, you know, we got like typical bar food or whatever. We were only 17 years old, but anyways, besides the point, we watched game seven together. And let me tell you, 
shout out to our, our family dog, Lucky, rest in peace. We had a foam finger that we had out. And during the second quarter, we look back onto the couch. Old boy ripped the finger in half and Johnny had to say it. He said, that isn't a good omen, man. <laughs> and I was just like, I was like, no, please don't say that, man. And we were looking pretty good from what I recall. But T-Mac had like an and one with like five minutes left. It was like 86, 79. I don't remember. We were up, we were we were up five. Yeah, we were like up like five, five or seven. Like, yeah, we were up five or seven with like three Did an and one dunk. It was like on Andre Kirlingo or Gordon Gerachek. One of the guys. I don't remember. And that was, I was like, oh man, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. And then it all just went downhill from there. Carlos Boozer, Memento Core decided to rip my heart into shreds. And we yeah. took that L. It was, it, was so, it was so tough to see, just to see that all happen. Because we weren't even together mm-hmm. when it went down. I was, I was somewhere mm-hmm. else. I think I was at a friend's house. But over to you now, Jackson. A young, spry Jackson Gatlin. Uh, I'm assuming, let's see, you're a few years younger than me. Maybe in middle school at this point. Maybe a young middle school Jackson Gatlin just uh, com- coming on up in basketball. But where were you when that Game 7 went down? Do you recall seeing it? Or do you have any memories in regards to that? I do remember watching it vividly in the house that I wound up, you know, the house that I knew that I grew up in, um, in the TV room with my dad, we had these two big like lounge chairs. And so like his was the one like right in the corner. Mine was the, the, uh, the opposite corner. And we were just, you know, I remember standing for the final, you know, like, I don't even five, six minutes of the game. Like we were, cause that was, that was his whole thing. Right. It was like, he would stand and he'd go like stand like right in front of the TV. And there was like one of these gigantic, like box TVs, like with the huge back to it and everything. And so could like feel the heat coming out of the back of it, whatever. And, um, I just remember what, like feeling like, okay, this is it. They've got it. They've got it. It's game seven. Like it's been an up and down series there. You know, there've been some, you know, some tough losses, but it, they made it all the way to game seven. Yao Ming, T-Mac having the games, their lives. Carlos Boozer was on one in that game, but it, it really felt like the Rockets were going to just barely have enough to eke it out. Despite the, the, the matchup issues, despite the defensive struggles of trying to contain Boozer and Memento Kerr, who were just a complete matchup nightmare for the Houston Rockets with Yao Ming, uh, you know, basically not being able to effectively check Memento Kerr on the perimeter, having to guard Carlos Boozer in that series. And like JP said, I just remember it all kind of slowly slipping away in the final moments of that game, right? It, I mean, it was so closely decided the final score, what, 103-99? Like, it was, you know, a few buckets here and there. If I remember, a few free throws here and there to just kind of wind things down because in that game, Boozer wound up feasting at the charity stripe as he did for a majority of the series. He was 9 of 12 shooting at the, at the free throw line. Just the Rockets had no answer for him, unfortunately, because he was just a complete matchup nightmare for what the Rockets were trying to do defensively. But you just look up and down the roster and, I mean, I, I'm sure we're going to get into it a little bit further, but like, you know, Yao and T-Mac both had really impressive games. Shane Battier stepped up in a big way. Even Rafer as like, you know, the fourth piece offensively, offensively had like a decent game for all intents and purposes. Like everybody who stepped up did step up. And this was really one of those games that could have honestly gone either way. And that's like when I try to separate myself from it as like a Rockets fan and just think back to like, wow, that was a damn good seven game series. Like yeah. a, a lot of NBA fans probably really enjoyed just how vicious that series was and the way it kind of boiled down to a game seven uh, as like, you know, unbiased third parties. But as a Rockets fan, it was just heartbreaking to, to see it go down to game seven and not be able to, to pull out the win uh, and make it to the next round. I can't believe just it was the lack of like the offensive rebounding. I think in the last maybe two and a half minutes and they just couldn't, they just couldn't get there. It was 
shots and they would fall and they would go on the outside towards the perimeter. Uh, Kirilenko would come up big on a board and then Memedo Korn ended up sinking that that huge three, just that dagger into however, what, 15,000 people's hearts and, and the hearts of everywhere, everyone in the mm-hmm. city of Houston. It was just so heartbreaking and so telling, too, if, if you think about it. Because if we, if we move forward on that and think about it, Jeff Van Gundy's offense was was run with it. He was a defensive minded coach, so the offensive the offense was really run through Yao and through T Mac for T Mac to create or to dump it into Yao and then you know do the post repost whatever they need to do to get that going and then have Shane kind of run to the perimeter go corner to corner baseline to baseline kind of have Chuck Kays on quick cuts but really to be honest if that roster was talented don't get me wrong but against Utah that team that just had movement on their offense and Carlos Boozer like you said 40 plus points in like games 1 and 2 what's up with power forwards having just stack games against the Rockets. I mean, didn't LaMarcus Aldridge go off at one point in 08, 09 in the playoffs? And he had like, or no, no, it was, no, it was 2013, 2014, where he tacked off like 40 plus those games. Yeah. Too, which the power forwards mm-hmm. just seem to have, you know, they just seem to enjoy themselves in Houston, mm-hmm. against Houston. But I guess in regards to, you know, moving on in that matter, it was just so heartbreaking for the city. And it, it was definitely that dam was going to break at some point because Jeff Van Gundy, if I recall, maybe his fourth year, maybe th- his third or fourth year uh, coaching. So it was definitely something that something was going to happen. And Jeff Van Gundy, if we fast forward now, as we go into the offseason here, Jeff Van Gundy wasn't sure if he was going to come back. Les Alexander wanted to move on, get somebody that he knew was going to want to coach the team. Jeff Van Gundy wanted to take a break. He wasn't 100% sure, and then they moved on and got Rick Adelman. I just want to talk about that now. Jumping from Jeff Van Gundy to a Rick Adelman, first major move in the offseason um, in regards to that. Since I went to the GM first, I'm going to go to you, Jackson, in regards to that. Um, when you first saw that you know deal go down, when they went from Jeff Van Gundy, who was a defensive-minded coach who you know, always, always grit, grounded, gritty defense. And then you go to a Rick Adelman, who's more of a motion offense, who likes the players to play more free, definitely a player's coach by, uh, by all accounts. What was your first impression when you, when you heard the news that it was going to transition from a Jeff Van Gundy over to a Rick Adelman? I honestly, I was so ready for it. I was so excited uh, to see what Adelman could potentially unlock with this Rockets team, because you're right. They did have a lot of talent, but I think one of the things too, that you know, we've noticed with coaches like, you know, a Rick Adelman or like, you know, maybe Mike D'Antoni further down the line is Mm. they've historically gotten the most out of their role players because they've had some really like team friendly offenses where you're able to get some, you know, some much easier buckets here and there for the role players up and down the roster. And the, the Rockets were unfortunately in this position where that team that did, you know, lose that fateful game seven, you know, all the offense was predicated by what Yao and T-Mac could do on a nightly basis, right? I mean, that team lived and died by whether or not they they basically each had to go for 20-plus or the Rockets didn't have enough offense to win a game, unless Absolutely. one of them somehow went for 30 or, or you know, the rare 40 performance. Um, they just, and, you know, they needed their role players to hit their shots, which, you know, seems very simple in the grand scheme of things, but it was very much a, a thing where T-Mac needed 20-plus, Yao needed 20-plus, and then you also needed your role players to hit some shots. Whereas, and life just wasn't easy for the team, unfortunately, because it felt like so much was just, you know, really hard fought, having to scrap offensively. Nothing really came easy to the team. Whereas with Adelman, I was incredibly excited about his potential and what he could unlock further for this team, especially for the role players. Not just because like we knew Yao and T-Mac were were bonafide, like Yao was a 20 and 10, T 
T-Mac was a walking 25 plus. Like we kind of knew that we wanted to see what more could we get out of the rest of the roster, um, which I think was ultimately a downfall of that team. Cause when Shane Battier is your third best player on the team, like love Shane Battier to pieces, but there's a certain ceiling, especially offensively when that's your third best player. Cause Shane wasn't necessarily an offensive person, right? A prototypical three and D guy. So that'd be like saying, yeah, PJ Tucker's your third best offensive option. Like what that, that hurts. Right. And so there, there's very, there's a lot of limited offensive flexibility when that happens. So first thing I did when I found out, I went and started looking up old Kings tape. Like I remember pouring through, like, I I hate YouTube. And I immediately was like, okay, like, what do we have here? Like, what clips can I find of like Adelman's offense with the Kings? What is this potentially going to look like? And I remember being head over heels in love with the motion, the cutting, the easy buckets and thinking like, okay, maybe Adelman can like further unlock Ray for Alston. Maybe we'll get like a different version of Yao and T-Mac where life is not, you know, so predicated on those two guys shouldering, you know, 89% of the burden for this team offensively and living and dying by whether or not they have big games every single night moving forward. And I think a lot of that kind of played out once we saw it translate to the court. I loved, I loved seeing it. I love seeing it. I love the fact that you were going to get that, that kind of offensive guru that was going to counter the defensive culture that was already put into Houston. So I love that point, but over to you now, GM in regards to the transitioning over from Jeff Van Gundy over to Rick Adelman. I think I vaguely remember you talking about this, but, Tell the, let the people know, like, how did you feel about it when you found out that this deal went down? I really liked the hiring of Rick Edelman at that point in time. We all understood that the offense was extremely limited under Jeff Van Gundy. And we were all very happy at how defensive minded that team was. But because of the offensive limitations, there's only so much a defense can do. So with the hiring of Rick Edelman, it allowed the offense to be unlocked. It allowed Yao team, even though Yao and T-Mac were those guys, let's not get it twisted, but it unlocked not just them, but the role players as well. Like Jackson said, I was very happy. You know, we remember watching the Kings back in the day, Vladi Divots, wonderful passer in the mid post. He was very, very good. Chris Weber, Mike Bibby, right? Yes, absolutely. So it was exciting with the idea of seeing Yao maybe run some similar motions, but we did see a lot of the similar offensive structure with Chuck Hayes as well, creating plays from the mid post, you know, not the mid post top of the key. I apologize. He was not a post guy. We all knew that, but you know, at the end of the day, we knew that there was a lot to be desired offensively. And he was certainly someone that can help with that. And we were all, I think everybody can agree that we were all very excited to have Rick Adelman hired in Houston. The, the Rockets alone were so lost offensively, and Utah had had exposed this team that a change had was was needed. And so mm-hmm. I'm really happy that that deal went down. So across the board, I think all three of us can agree that that it wasn't it was tough on the players from what I can recall, but the team needed it. They needed that culture shift, that culture change in terms of offense to kind of instill that. So moving forward now into the summer, the Houston Rockets end up drafting. So, so we're talking offense, right? So let's, let's add to this plethora of offensive guru. That is Rick Adelman. Let's add on to that. Cause the Rockets draft Aaron Brooks. They draft Carl Landry. They sign Luis Scola um, with the trade from the Spurs. They sign Mike James. And, oh, needn't it, does everyone forget? It was a homecoming of sorts. Steve Francis returns to the Rockets. If you need guards, look no further than the Houston Rockets because no, no uh, position 
especially that point guard was safe because it was Ray for Alston. It was Aaron Brooks. It was Mike James. It was Steve Francis. You had guards galore over here to just totally mm-hmm. bolster this team from everything that they lacked. Like, gosh, why could they have brought these guys in, in the prior years? I feel like we would have been fine. Oh, six, oh, seven. But I want to transition it over uh, to you, Jackson, first. Just getting those guys, man, getting those guys, getting them prepped and ready, going into training camp, having those types of players across the board. Do you have the roster on you? If you have the roster, could you name the roster? Could you throw I do the have the roster on me. Do you just Perfect. want me to go top to bottom? Like Go top you know, to bottom, my guy. All right. There are so many throwback names on here. This is an incredible roster. I, again, I, I have so many, like, <laughs> I don't want to say conflicting emotions towards people on this roster. Like, it's just, it's a nostalgic roster, right? Because this was when I, th- like, for me personally, this was when I really started, like, heavily, like, the prior year and then this year were when I really started considering, like, my fandom to really start taking off and really, like, caring about, okay, team construction. How do you build a team? Like, it was much more than just, like, yay, dunks and threes. Like, it was, you know, it was, I, I started really learning about the sport around this time. And so... Top to bottom, we're going to rock through this. We got Rafer Alston, Shane Battier, Aaron Brooks, Stevie Franchise, mm. Gerald Green. Oh, yes. Mike Harris, Chuck Hayes, the Chuckster, the Chuck Wagon, Luther Head, Bobby Jackson. Shout out to Bobby Jackson. Mike James, Bobby Jones, rookie Carl Landry. Tracy McGrady, Yao Ming, Dikimi Mutombo, Steve Novak, Luis Scola, another rookie, Bonzi Wells, Justin Williams, and Lauren Woods. That is the Rockets roster for guys that either spent part of the season and or the entire season with the Rockets across the 07-08 campaign. After naming a roster. Right? Seriously. (laughs) Jeez, Louise, I guess after I don't even know how to respond, because like literally after hearing all of those names, I can pinpoint a memory, a highlight, a low light in terms of Mm -hmm. what this team provides. So if we put that, you just named all those guys, Jackson. Now going into the training camp, obviously, Bobby Jackson, Gerald Green end up joining the team uh, halfway through the season uh, through the trade deadline. But just having those guys kind of stepping up here, going into training camp with Rick Adelman as a coach. Do you recall, like, were you... At that point, like, so I was a lurker on Clutch Fans. Shout out to Clutch Fans. I was a lurker on Clutch Fans on that BBS. I was... Justin was always like, "Hey man, they got they got training camp tapes. Go 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 check them out when you can." And I'm like, "Okay, great. Let's let's fire up that Roadrunner and let's go see what we got." And I was able to kind of catch footage, but were you able to kind of see that and if you were like, what was your what was your mindset kind of going into that season knowing that you got those plethora guards and and those forwards as well? I was so excited to just move on from like 49,000 year old Juwan Howard. Like I love Juwan <laughs> Howard to pieces and shout out with what he's doing at the collegiate level. Great coach, even better human being like what, but like the rockets were so it, it just very much hamstrung in this position where it's like they started the season with Chuck Hayes at the four. And like, we saw this recipe play out last season, which was just like, shout out Chuck Wagon, great defensive specialist, all that. And even under Adelman, like we saw like Chuck actually like, you know, Chuck had good hands around the rim and like he wound up being able to hit like some reverse layups under the basket and stuff. He just wasn't, he wasn't ever an offensive threat or presence, right? Didn't have an outside shot, was atrocious from the free throw line, had the shout out to the Chuckster for the hitch in his free throw shooting form that would constantly (laughs) produce lane violations. Like, 
<laughs> all of that. Right. And so I, I love Chuck for what he was, but shouldn't have been a starter on a team, right? Like just, you know, and so Thank I remember you. coming in to the season, being so excited, looking up and down that roster thinking, yo, there's so many more weapons on this roster. Like I, and I remember being like insanely hyped about the Mike James pickup because I was like, yo, the Rockets actually have like a, a scoring punch off the bench now in Mike James. They've got like another ball handler to where, you know, it doesn't, it's not all on Rafer and T-Mac, right? Which was, I think, one of the uh, Achilles heels of former Rockets teams was they they basically only had one ball handler at times on the floor in either T-Mac or Rafer. And, you know, th- it was easy for defense to kind of pinpoint on that and really kind of exacerbate the Rockets' issues offensively because they just want a creative team under JVG. And so bringing in this, you know, this, plethora of different guys with a lot of like upside the the, the handful of rookies that they brought in um it was like the sky was kind of the limit and the other like low-key signing was also like the bonzi wells one i remember my dad was like he wanted bonzi wells to start so bad he was like he was all over the bonzi wells hype train he wanted bonzi as a starter on the team he wanted again he wanted chuck move to the bench and he was just like just play shane at the four and like i just remember that whole situation being like <laughs> one of the areas that he was like really you know strung out on uh, to start the season. But yeah, that was just my thing was optimism, right? Because I felt like in the, you know, previous iterations of this rocket team, there just wasn't enough talent, like top to bottom, like one through 15 on the roster. And this, this season, it really felt like, yo, like this rocket team has a team that could go like 10, 11, 12 deep. If some of these other guys really pan out. Jackson, your dad is a vibe just by hearing that alone, because I was probably one of those two people on that boat of ha- in in House of Pies rooting for Bonzi Wells to start. The Bonzi boat, it. if you will. The Bonzi boat. The, bon- <laughs> the Bonzi Bonsai boat. Uh, shout out to Karate Kid. The Bonsai <laughs> boat or the Wells wagon? Which one are we going with? Ooh, ooh. I'm going to go with the Bonsai boat. The Bonzi boat. I think the Bonzi boat sounds cooler. I was totally with him in that sense because I wanted him to start. I wanted Bonzi to start. Ultimately, unfortunately, I think there was like a weight. I heard a story that he had to hit. There was like a weight they wanted him to hit, and he just could not hit it, unfortunately. So I remember I that. Remember I remember that. that. He, might, he was supposed he was supposed to slim down that offseason. He came in a little, didn't quite make the weight for his uh for his you know title card match, unfortunately. <laughs> it was so unfortunate because I was like, okay, Bonzi Wells. I was like, yo, y'all don't even know what's coming. Bonzi Wells, he averaged like 20 points in Sacramento. Like, dude, he's gonna provide that. Yeah, he punch. was he was like, a bad guy when he was there. Like, definitely not mm-hmm. Stromau Swift levels of failure. But um, it was it was definitely a d- definitely a little lower than I expected. I, ex- I had higher expectations. But over to you now, GM. You have all those picks, man. Do you remember, GM? There was a video. Gosh, mm-hmm. oh my goodness, was it by Se- uh, was the band Seosin? Yes, yes, uh, yes. You're not alone. Oh, dude, and yeah. and, and tears. Is, yes, I remember that video. Yeah, but, that was the video. Right? But Aaron Brooks, Scola. All highlights of Mike James. Yeah. And you know how they used to do like the meshing of the highlights where it's an all a from like, it's a pass from T-Mac to Steve, to Steve Francis, you know, like those times, those are, those are beautiful times. Like that. I remember very vividly, like I remember the return of Steve Francis and I was so happy. I loved Francis. Like when we were growing up, he was the guy that the, the organization hitched their wagon to. They were like, in the transition from Akeem, we're going to Steve Francis and Katino Mobley. And, you know, of course, we didn't want to see him leave, but we understood why for, for Tracy McGrady, obviously, top three player in the league at that point. But to have him return 
was an amazing feeling. Unfortunately, it did not work out. Even Rick Adelman stated like at the end of training camp or early in the beginning, he told the reporters that he anticipated Steve Francis being his starter. But unfortunately, I, I guess did, Steve yeah. Francis came in out of shape. Him and Bonzi Wells hung out a little too much and they both didn't make weight. Poor guys. <laughs> but, but you do know, you, like, do you just remember, I, I, I remember so vividly, like Steve Francis, like laying on the ground, like near the Rockets bench for some of the early games of the season, like kind of like mentally mm-hmm. checked out because again, I think like, you know, shout out to Stevie. He, I think he was expecting like a bigger role than what he got because he didn't yeah. get a role like right out of the gate. He and I think mm-hmm. he was kind of like expecting to kind of like ride maybe the coattails of his previous success. Like, yo, I'm Steve Francis. Like, why do I have to earn my spot on this roster? And yep. I think there were some moments like early that season where he was just like splayed out in front of the rock, <laughs> like on the baseline, like mm-hmm. middle of the game. You're like, yo, what is he doing over there? Like, <laughs> I, I so distinctly remember that, unfortunately. <laughs> no, dude, I remember. I remember I was at one of the games where the whole crowd was cheering for him to come in. It was against Phoenix. And I don't know if it was his first or second appearance. Might have been his first appearance in Toyota Center to actually get PT. But they kept on cheering for, you know, Francis, Francis. And then, you know, you can see Rick Adelman over there thinking about it. Then he just waves for him and he comes up and that he had such a huge ovation. And I remember he tried it. He took a three missed badly, but then he drove in and got a layup a couple possessions later and the crowd went wild. And this was when Phoenix was a great team. This is the Steve Nash, Amari Stoudemire, the peak of times for them. Yeah, Sean and Marion, yeah. that was a great team. I remember it was like the, the oh, shout out. I, th- I think, I think they might have a new peak right now. I'm just going to put that out there. Touche. Touche. They made the finals. Oof. Unlike poor Steve Nash and Amari. Huh. Hey, but no, 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 wait, 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 <laughs> hang on, hang on. Hey, hand raised here. That was the conference finals. We remember they got, they had the suspensions. They threw out the suspensions because of the mm-hmm. Robert Ori incident. So I didn't say that it was fair. I just said that they have a new peak now. That's all. Which, again, shout out to Kenny, who is apparently all about the facts as of late. Um, that's facts, Kenny. So I don't see how this you're debating true. that. There's I'm no such thing as slander. I'm not debating it, but I really feel like they could have made the finals if uh, if anyway. that team was a championship caliber team. It Absolutely. Was. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I, I digress. Go ahead, GM. Continue. No, but yeah, I mean, you know, and then also let's not forget Luis Scola. Like Jackson was talking about in the in the earlier segment god i can't even talk anymore but chuck hayes was starting at the four in the previous year and the idea of luis scola being inserted into that starting lineup when he was ready was you know that was something that we were all hitching our wagon onto as well which did eventually happen in 2008 and i was just very excited to have a guy like that who can hit a consistent mid-range shot who has his moves in the post and it allows yao to kind of not have to work so hard in the post as much anymore having another reliable offensive option and you know like shout out to mike james like love mike james That's quick note you used to do yoga with him he we we during the year of there was a conference finals when uh when chris paul got hurt we were talking about it because he was an he was a an i guess an assistant coach but not really an assistant coach but he was working with the organization and I would just press him. I'm like, you think he's coming back? He's just like, I don't know about that young blood. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> Shit broke my heart, man. But, you know, yeah, just a little story about Mike. He was such a nice guy. But, you know, overall, the anticipation for that season, we all just wanted to wipe off the disappointment of the 2007 playoffs. So we were just ready to get to that season. And Kenny, you know, I'm going to bring it up the first game of the season. 
the Rockets got a dub against LA in prime time on TNT. And we both watched that game together. And that was a we game. Were, that we was were a together. game. Yes, sir. Yeah. That that was, you know, it was one of those games where it was a 930 start time. The Lakers, they had not, I think they get pow mid-year. Can y'all can y'all can y'all fact check me? I I'm I, yeah, it, they they, they got year, him right? at the deadline, I think. Yeah, they got him. At that the was deadline. the year that they made the finals. That was the year that oh, they no, made wait. the finals. Yeah, that, that was the year they made the finals. Yeah. They didn't they didn't yeah. win. But mm-hmm. I remember just vividly the fact that it's in LA. It's you have yeah, their their opening night roster was Kobe Bryant, Luke Walton, Derek Fisher, Kwame Brown, and Roni Turioff. That was their five man wow. opening night roster. Whoo, man, that's tough. That's tough. Jamie's log, progressive. The Harrington's backyard, day four, two eighteen a.m. I've been camping outside the Harrington house for four days now, proving that Progressive has 24-7 protection. Mr. Harrington says I don't need to do this since Progressive protects 24-7 is a pretty easy concept to grasp, but I'm going to stay and prove my point. Besides, there's a big tree branch over the roof, and I think it's planning something. Progressive doesn't just offer a great price when you bundle home and auto. We offer round-the-clock protection, just not literally from Jamie. Coverage from Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and third-party insurers and subject to policy terms. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. Houston is on a timeout. We're tied at 92. A screen by Yao. It's Battier for three. Oh, he caught it. What a shot by Battier. It's a three-point game. Timeout Los Angeles. I just got to say in regards to that because it was a perfect GM, you can segue it uh, more better than that because we were actually going into the start of the season. But that opening night game in L.A., just getting to kind of watch that, kind of just see how this team was going to work, kind of trying to figure out, obviously, where you were going to piece all these talented players. And ultimately, if we even talk about, you know, further expand upon Luis Scola, Scola didn't even start. I think it was still Chuck Hayes that was that was starting at that point at the four spot. And like you said, franchise didn't even see the floor, I think, at that point. So it was so difficult to make this roster. If I remember correctly, T-Mac even was quoted as saying, like, that was one of the most competitive training camps that he had had. Like, it may have been, like, maybe the most competitive he's ever been in because these Mm -hmm. guys were all fighting. They were fighting for spots. Maybe outside of T-Mac and Yao, no spot was safe. There was going to be someone creeping back right behind you trying to take your spot. Maybe him. I think think Shane was pretty safe. But other than that, it's those three and, like, everybody else was not guaranteed anything. No, absolutely Mm -hmm. not. So if we jump into that first game overall, I want to knock it over to you, Jackson, first. But... Where were you? Did you know? Were you able to watch the game live? And if so, what was your just immediate reaction seeing that that game? Seeing that Shane Battier gamer from three uh, with like two seconds left in the game. How was your overall uh, opinion when you were like young Jackson watching? You know, it's so crazy. I don't think I think there's only one other opening night game that comes close. Um, if I had to pick like my three favorite like opening night games, at least you know in in the time that I can like distinctly remember all my opening night games. Um, this is up there. I don't want to give them like a rank one, two, three, but it, this is up there. And then the opening night game, uh, against the warriors to set the tone for the 2017, 2018 season. And then, uh, James Harden's debut as a Houston rocket. Like those three games are probably like right up there for, for my favorite, like opening nights, like over the last you know decade or two for Houston rockets basketball. But I, I definitely distinctly remember just obviously like the billing around this game was, you know, very much like T-Mac versus Kobe, like all, you know, because, because those two were, were very much like widely regarded as, you know, one and two across the league at, at shooting guard. And so, 
you had this opportunity to to build this game, um, you know, start of the season, all this between these two teams, and it was, you know, the Rockets wanted to start out on a strong note, right? They had a brand new head coach, uh, a lot of new talent in town, and they wanted to start the season on a high note. And I, I feel like this was one of those like statement kind of games, like come out of the gate, like, Hey, yeah, this wasn't the Lakers team that, you know, then went on with Pow um, to be dominant down the stretch, but this was still a very, like a very solid mm-hmm. Lakers team around a uh, peak Kobe Bryant, who was playing some of the best basketball in his career at this point. Um, you know, border, you know, MVP caliber Kobe Bryant at this point. Uh, and if memory serves right, he had like a 40 point piece, 40 point. Yeah. 45. This game played 42 minutes, played, you know, dropped 45 points uh, on 13 of 32 shooting, which is efficiency. The, the efficiency. most efficient. That, that is like the most late 2000s like stat line that I've ever seen in my life. Um, mm-hmm. he, he did. He did go 18 of 27 at the free throw line. I will say that. So like shout out to Kobe, get it, you know, free throw merchant Kobe Bryant. But I digress. Um, no, it was it was definitely one of those really amazingly exciting games where you just, it gave you like a really, it gave you a, a great hope for the season, right? The way you start, come out of the gate with that first win, you know, everything's great. Everything's rosy in training camp, preseason. You're like, yeah, this is our year, you know, so hyped for the team. But then you get to that opening night game. And even though it's just one game out of 82, it can really set the feel for the whole season. And that game for the Rockets winning against LA, the way that they did with the Shane Battier three in the clutch, all of that, it was a great starting point for that season. Just like I, when I watched it, I lost, I lost my, I remember when we saw it live and I think I legit jumped almost as if we were winning it. We had won a championship just because of the fact that it was in LA. It was in LA. It was on TNT. All the national pundits were there. Everybody was talking about the Lakers and then the Rockets come in, sock them in the mouth. Very reminiscent of that 2017 uh, opener against Golden State. But over to you now, GM. In regards to this game, you know, I have my side of memories, but what was your memories out of the gate from that game? That three was super clutch. And I just remember how wonderful the feeling was that we were able to sneak one out in LA. I mean, shout out to Mike James, man. He shot 50% from the field that night. He had 13 points off the bench, three of five from three. That is what you call impact off the bench. And that was what we were missing the year prior. Little did we know he would not work out, unfortunately, but still a lot of hope there. But I mean, you know, T-Mac played very well. He had 30 points, four assists, six rebounds, typical T-Mac game. And overall, it was just to be able to do it under the bright lights of L.A. And for us to step up big in that moment, it's such just a huge thing overall for us as a team and like. Jackson stated, set the tone for the year. And that exactly set the tone for the year. The team was, you know, like the fact that it was close, held him under 100. I think that's good considering our defense was solid the year before, carried that over despite Rick Adelman being a different type of coach. We're able to carry that defense over and lasted throughout the whole year, to be honest with you. But overall, it was just, it brought a lot of hope for me as a fan for that year. And it was such a wonderful feeling to wipe bad taste from the year prior. Well, they ended up going six and one to start the season. So, which was a very strong start. I think they were one and two along with San Antonio, but then ultimately look, the dam breaks. They end up going through their plethora of struggles, 
of transitioning into this new this newfound offense based on more like we like I had stated earlier more more based on a motion offense more of a read and react offense not really setting plays but more like you know giving what the defense gives you and reading and reacting accordingly to cuts that's like you said putting the ball in Chuck Hayes's hands to either you know make a quick read make a quick pass or to cut to that basket for a quick bucket but ultimately they struggle and in the first 39 games they end up going 20 and 19 after their first uh the 39 games of the season uh, after starting six and one that's about a 14 and 18 start which is uh, this team with that talent with t-mac and yao at your at the peak of their powers, arguably, you should argue that that team should be more successful at that point. You are literally halfway through the season at that point. But if people recall, T-Mac ends up getting injured about late December and he's out for almost a month. And then Yao ends up getting injured as well. So, you know, you're dealing with injuries back and forth. The story of our lives as Rockets fans in terms of injuries, and especially the stories with T-Mac and Yao, they just never were able to string together a consistent, solid year together outside of maybe 06, 07. But Jackson, before, obviously, before we go into the big meat and potato of the entire episode, obviously the big 22, the early struggles of this team from out the gate in those first 39 games going 20 and 19. I remember vividly how I felt and knowing that, man, this team just, may not may not have it just this year maybe but what were your thoughts when you first saw this team and after that strong start going through those struggles through the injuries and whatnot trying to figure out their offense I think a big part of this team and they they never really realized their true potential under Adelman I think because they I don't want to say it's because they had players who were set in their ways but like you know, I think a big part of having a system like what Adam and wanted to try and run with, you know, again, empowering players, having a lot of read and react, um, you know, really trying to instill the same offensive identity philosophy that he had when he was you know, with the Kings. Um, it never really like truly flourished. You did see guys doing things and, and, you know, approaching the game in a way that you would have never in a million years seen under JVG. But at the same time, like it never really felt like the Rockets took off and embraced, you know, this, you know, fleshed out like top five offensive identity, which was kind of the expectation. Now, the crazy thing is their defense didn't really like stutter under Adelman. Like they until mm-hmm. under Adelman, they were mm-hmm. like still a top, I think still top five or at least top 10 defense they all were. the way till the, the 2009, 2010 season um, when things obviously were like, that's when things started kind of like, you know, blowing up and everything. So um but yeah, I, you know, it it never really felt felt like they were. I don't want to say again. I don't want to say that they weren't on the same page. I do think the players were trying to, you know, get into what he wanted to accomplish. But at the same time, I think there were almost certain limitations with what you could do offensively with that Rockets team in particular. In the sense of, like, you had Trace McGrady who was great. You know, get him in isolation, get him in the pick and roll, let him you know read and create for his teammates. You had Yao Ming who his strengths were just giving the ball in the low block and let him work. We did see Yao become a uh, utilized as more of a passer out of the high post under Adelman, which I thought was a great little wrinkle. Um, if everybody will remember, there was a game, uh, I believe it was that season, if I'm not mistaken, uh, where there was a game winner from, I don't think this was part of the 22 game win streak, but I, I believe there was a game winner that, that season where the Rockets were playing the Spurs and late in the game, Yao hit Scola for this beautiful pass. He had cut under the bucket 
and Yao like faked the shot from the top of the key and immediately like went up into his shooting stroke and then blasted the pass down to Luis Scola for the game winning layup, or at least maybe if it wasn't the game winning layup, it was a very clutch, timely bucket down the stretch of that game against the Spurs. And this was also the Spurs at like the height of their power. So that mm-hmm. was like a, a game where it felt incredible to see that play out where you're like, yo, like that would have never happened under JDG. It would have been get the ball to the post and yeah, let him pound away at, you know, whatever guy is guarding him, Duncan or whoever. And, you know, maybe he gets a fade away and maybe he gets a little hook shot. And, you know, that that would have been it. It wouldn't have been something where you almost like I don't want to say a trick design play, but it wouldn't have been utilizing the gravity of your two stars to create an easier opportunity for a role player. And so while I do think we saw more of that, with the Adelman Rockets, they never really quite took off to where you'd think, okay, they're going to be a top 10 offense and defense. They just never had all the firepower around T-Mac and Yao that they needed to hit that point. And like you already mentioned, right, the injuries to both of those guys definitely, unfortunately, held that team back. Um, losing McGrady for a month, he was essentially the offensive engine for that team, even though a lot of the offense was run through Yao at times. That offense, you know, it was clunky running through Yao because he's a he's a big man, you dump it in the post, you know, it wasn't the same as today's NBA where the teams were mu- are much better at swinging the ball around the perimeter and working inside out. Like, you know, Yao is a little bit clunkier going through him in the post, uh, you know, a much more stagnated game. And then when you lose Yao for the season, like that completely, you know, shuttered the chances of this team really, but, you know, embracing their true offensive identity, unfortunately. I still believe truly that if Yao, if we were to drop Yao into today's NBA, my man would just be a three-point shooting extraordinaire, averaging 25-plus Hands down, yeah would be the yeah would be the blank best center in today's game. Go. Hmm. Would you say the blank best center? He said yeah. rank him, rank him. Uh, no, well, like 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 blank, like like yeah. So like yeah would be oh, the you know, yeah, blank yeah, yeah, yeah. Best okay. center in today's game. Today's game with his with the skill set he already has, and, and mm. with the skill set that he has, and the understanding that obviously his skill set would probably be translated a little bit differently because today's game is predicated on threes and whatnot. So like. Obviously, Embiid wouldn't have been shooting threes back in 08. Like, Embiid would have just been a dominant low post force. But he's got the shooting stroke, similar to Yao Ming, that you would conceivably think Yao would shoot threes in today's NBA. He had the touch. Mm-hmm. I, you know what? To be honest, I'm going to be honest with you. He he doesn't get enough He doesn't get enough love for his passing ability, for his, post, <clears throat> for his post ability, ability to set the screen, the ability to shoot the three, his understanding of on the offense and defensive end. He'd be top two, top three, in my opinion. Top two and two, not two. Top, no. three. <laughs> top two, but not two. Yeah, that's no. right. You know what? You know, yeah. let me let me put my eggs in all in one basket. Yeah, number one, baby. What what about you, JP? <laughs> I'd honestly I'd probably put him at three. But let me tell you why. I mean, Yao is seven six. I don't know if I could put him ahead of MVP, two-time MVP now, Nikola Jokic and Joel Embiid. <clears throat> I feel that Joel Embiid and Yao kind of have a similar skill set with the game they both impact the game so well defensively and offensively but you know obviously Joel probably has a bit more of the athleticism they both had issues staying healthy though let's say that absolutely but I'll say this about Yao though the guy shot almost 90 percent from the free throw line like if you want automatic from the line who got fouled all the time Yao is your guy and the way the NBA is now and how predicated it is on shooting and shooting ability ability to make and find shots when needed yeah would be someone that could definitely fit in this game and i think you know he, he was a bit slower and clunkier at that point in time but that's because that's how the nba was was slower paced 
if he played in the NBA now, I feel that his game would translate just fine. But I'm just not sure if he's up to snuff with uh, Jokic and Embiid, to be honest with you. That's more or less pretty much where I'd probably rank him too. Um, and I, it's crazy because I do think you look at Yao and, and you know his skill set, he would have translated. It's almost like if you were to merge Jokic and Embiid into one player and like strip away like Embiid's athleticism um, because Yao was bigger and clunkier, but you would also probably go under the understanding that if Yao were to come up in today's NBA and if he were drafted as a rookie like tomorrow, he probably wouldn't weigh north of 300 pounds the way that he does. Like he would slim down a la the exact same way that Jokic has or the way that Embiid is, you know, a stout 250, 260, 280, whatever he is, but he's, you know, much more mobile as a big. And, you know, you think about the way those guys play the game. Embiid has the offensive repertoire, can take you all the way out to the three, can get his own, you know, turnaround, fadeaway, jump shot, all that. Um, but isn't quite, you know, Embiid's quite a bit more finesse. And then Jokic is a bit more like just brute power. Like he'll take you down and he'll kind of back you down, get you really close to the bucket you know, hit a little baby hook over the top, but he's also got the finesse game as well. Um, I think Yao would run into some similar issues defensively that Rudy Gobert runs into though, unfortunately at the end of the day. And Rudy Gobert was, is definitely more mobile than Yao is, which is not saying a whole lot. Like Yao's not mobile at all. (laughs) Um, And yet Rudy Gobert still gets played off the floor at times because he's an immobile big. And, you know, it's, it's a, it's a liability, unfortunately, both offensively and defensively, but yeah, I'd probably put him somewhere in that probably third, but somewhere for sure in that three to five bracket. I love that you you mentioned that he would be asked to maybe either stay his his rookie weight or even slim down more because if you think about it, all of his injuries were through his foot. You could have probably extended the career, the longevity of his career, just by having that that weight at being south of three hundred or even mm-hmm. getting it lower. Like you could probably buy a few extra years here and probably probably you know do away with all those injuries that he ended up having the stress fracture in his foot obviously and it came twice and it came twice in two years so like that alone would have elongated his career i can only imagine what yao could could do and maybe that would actually help him like you said he's clunky but well you never know maybe he maybe that would help him maybe doing some yoga would help him in today's nba i don't know we'll see that's that's just how i feel in regards to that but Let's move forward, boys, and let's talk about the 22-game win streak. The the some of the greatest memories I've ever had as a Houston Rocket, literally just setting foot. And I just let me just set the tone by letting people know out the gate. The team was only 23 and 20. They had lost the prior game against Utah. And this team was definitely just they, they were 23 and 20. They were maybe eighth or ninth in the West. They just weren't, they were just not bottom dweller, but they were eking right out, right in and out of the playoffs, like every game, like it was one of those games. And I kind of just want to set the tone by letting people know also that we had discussed this earlier uh, off, off the pod, but every team that made the playoffs that year won at least 50 games. So number one seed Lakers, two Pelicans, three Spurs, four Jazz, five Rockets, six Suns, seven Mavericks, eight Nuggets. The Nuggets were 50 and 32. It was the wild, wild west. It was def. It's the Western Conference that I remember the toughest, maybe either one of the toughest years in, in conference history or maybe the toughest. You Like the 48 and 34 Warriors missed the playoffs. Like, that's just so hard to fathom. So just to kind of get all that information out and how needed the Rockets and didn't even the like 22 game win streak was perfect, but 
the fact that they just needed to get something going and it starts ultimately in Golden State. And boys, I want to be able to break this down properly. Obviously, we're not going to break down every single game because we're going to be here for literally 24, at least 22 hours. And I don't want to do that to y'all. But I want to be able to break this down maybe by like the first like maybe 10 games, maybe the the first 10 games of of that win streak, obviously. But the team starts to put together these games. It starts against the Warriors on January 29, 2008. And they tack off their 22 in a row. But I do want to highlight a game in particular, and that is game. I think it was the win streak of the seventh or eighth game against the Sacramento Kings. And I could pull it up here. The, yeah, it was yeah, the win eight number game. eight. It was the win number mm-hmm. eight against the Sacramento Kings. And I, I want to lay it up over to you uh, uh, first, GM. Just look, we're going into win number eight here. It's on the board. It's on the line. We were up 15 going into the fourth. And here we go. Here comes future rocket Ron Artest putting us in our place. And we end up, you know, there, there's just a lot of uncertainty here. Maybe the streak can end. Ron Artest is going bananas and he's stopping T-Mac in the process. I know we weren't together at that time, but I want you, I'm going to lay it up to you now. Tell the people what happens in the following next 15 seconds or last 15 seconds of the game. <laughs> T-Mac had the ball. And he did what he does. He did what he does. Drives into the paint if he doesn't have the shot, and he makes a play. Luckily, Steve Novak, our man, straight out of Marquette University, decided to get open. Damn, right at the top of the key from three, and nails it, and has the most white boy celebration if I've ever seen one. It was wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. There you go. He whoa, was whoa, 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 whoa. First off, this is this, you know, this is also a what we probably, you know, younger Rockets fans now who didn't get to know or appreciate Steve Novak. This is also we could call it the EG celebration because it's very much the little pump fist. Yep. Like, I'm sorry, EG has the wackest celebrations as well. So <laughs> we equated it to Eric Gordon and I like literally spoiler alert, like psh, like. I had a moment where I didn't even think about that. It's so true because I thought about that game winner against Philly buzzer beater. Yeah. And then he just jumps into them. And it's so like the awkward and it's just awkward. It's, <laughs> I think Yao's clunky. That celebration was mm-hmm. clunky. But yeah, just <laughs> overall opinion on the on that big time three by Steven by by rookie rookie Steve Novak. Oh, yes. no. Second year. Was it rookie? I don't remember. He was a second round pick, though. But I had high hopes for Steve Novak. I really that. wanted him to be somebody. Number 20. Uh, he was number 20 before. Was it before Brent Barry? Oh, no, Brent Barry was 17. My apologies, guys. I'm an idiot. Don't listen to me. But that was such a big shot from Steve Novak. And he even said it himself. He was super cold. I don't believe he hit a shot prior to that. And he was able to hit that three. And it's all about being ready when your number is called. And Steve Novak was ready for his moment at that point. And if you look back at the win streak, that was one of the closer games. And the, the fact that that was win number eight, in the grand scheme of things, it might not be as huge. But to get that victory, especially after choking away a 15-point lead, showed that the team can fight adversity. And for them, I think that's huge when it, when it pertains to the macro part. So with all that being said, especially against the Sacramento Kings, Rick Adelman's former team, come on now, like, it's, that's got to feel good for Rick, right? So overall, that was just a, a great victory and just a whole, um, 
how can I say this? Another part of a big picture for the Houston Rockets. It's it's definitely it's if you guys remember the Dream On video intro, like that three is there. So it just goes to show how mm-hmm. legendary the shot was. They included along with the kiss of death. So it just goes to show how in Rockets lore <laughs> where it truly belongs. But now over to you, Jackson, who did the fist pump to perfection. Uh where were you when this game went down? Were you able to watch it live? And if so, what was your just immediate reaction, just kind of seeing it all play out? I do remember watching it live, and I remember being, you know, seeing the play kind of develop, right? And you're, you you see T-Mac drive into the paint. King's defense is actually pretty solid. There's not really much there. Like, T-Mac's already driven too far to get, you know, like the, to get like the, you know, his comfortable like mid-range pull-up or whatever. And you see him kind of, he's like skirting like almost the outside of like the paint. Right. And then he hits that. Like, like you see Novak kind of come into your camera angle from like around the horn runs around to the top of the key. And you see T-Mac just flip the pass all the way back to him. Novak wide open T-Mac drew all the attention as he was, you know, want to do in all these games and Novak nails the three. Right. And it's just, you know, straight elation. Like, Oh my God, can't believe it. Like Novak hadn't hit a shot that yet. That game, you know, checks in late uh, is expected to, you know, be ready for this final possession it was an insane closing stretch, you know, for this game. Obviously, the win streak at that point was was not quite to the level of like the double digit, like, oh my God, this is historic yet. It was just like, okay, thank goodness we're not at the bottom of the West anymore. Like it's like, all right, cool. We're we're racking up some dubs. Like suddenly this team is actually like pulling, you know, putting together some wins and getting back on track. And I remember Novak, like he, you know, I, I was lucky enough to have him on uh on LOR at one point. And he spoke about that like moment, right? And just um, you know, he was, you know, ever the, the, the most humble dude, just talking about the fact that, you know, he just wanted to be in a position to help the team win the fact that the Rockets still commemorate that three, you know, it, you know, means so much to him. The fact that like he is, you know, forever embedded in Rockets history and in that 22 game win streak history by looking at that game, that, that win streak wouldn't have happened without Steve Novak, right? Cause it would have been cut short had the Rockets lost that game against the Kings. So I do think that, like from all those different angles and perspectives, that is is easily one of probably the top, probably one of the top threes in Rockets franchise history. Like it's got, or sorry, like it's got to be probably at least top five. I it's mean, you mentioned it being up there with Mario Ellie's uh, kiss of death. I, I have, I'll have to dust it off and like, well, you know, I'll, I'll hit the list with Twitter or I'll hit Twitter with the list. But at some point during the, uh, during the pandemic, when things were first shut down, we had no idea when sports were coming back, if they were coming back. I remember having to get really creative for content. And we did, I did an episode on LOR talking about the t- the 10 most important threes in Rockets franchise history. And I think Damian Lillard's three was actually in there because even though it wasn't a Rockets three, it was an important three in franchise history, if, if I remember. And so it was one of those where... Um, you know, I, I think I had it ranked somewhere top five. It might have been top three, but I'll have to go back and unearth that. But yeah, it was an exhilarating shot, a, a hell of a way to win the game, and definitely, you know, the early stages of what, what wound up becoming such a a beautiful, magical twenty-two game win streak. Like seriously, when you guys think about that shot, though, because the first thing I thought of when I would watch the highlight, why does Troy Daniels come to my mind? When, when that happens, you guys remember that big three ends up hitting in the playoffs because he yeah, was, was asked game to come three. in. He was asked yeah. to come in for one shot 
and he doesn't hesitate just like Novak and he ends up hitting a big three, two. And that was just one of the things I just thought of, sorry, random, totally off topic, <laughs> but just another reason, just another reason why it was just so memorable. Just so many big shots in Rockets history. Uh, and, and that's definitely up there uh, in terms of that, but moving on now, let's, you know, move on to another game that I thought was, I guess, um, big time for us was the Rockets against the Hornets. Uh, I think it might've been win. Gosh, maybe win number win number eleven. Going into win number eleven here, and the and just to kind of let everyone know, New Orleans at that point was number one in the West. Now, granted, like you're number one in the West, but the separation between the one and eight seed might have been four games. So you're looking at you know you losing a losing a game you losing a week and you're gonna lose you're gonna drop to the eighth seed. So but at that point they were the number one seed. That was like the true first game where they ended up like testing their metal in terms of like be whether or not they're actually capable of competing against you know, the top the top tier of the Western Conference and the New Orleans Hornets led by a young Chris Paul led by David West Tyson Chandler. That was a good really good team and they ended up beating them they didn't just beat them they mollywopped them by 20 and and it was all it was all thanks to that second quarter where they outscored them by 11 and then in the third where they outscored them by eight but i want to ask you first uh jackson in regards to that just that setting and that situation playing against the number one seed you have your streak on the line you got these guys here that basically have no business we we could win but new orleans hornets chris paul the point god running it like a machine they were just wiping teams out i remember vividly and what was your just impressions kind of just seeing that and actually knowing that we can hang with the big dogs in the west not just compete but beat them as well if memory serves uh and i'm pulling up the box score here because i want to make sure that i've got my ducks in a row before i make an ass of myself uh yeah, I think that because this was around the time, right? Because, you know, obviously you started the year and it was, you know, Chuck Hayes starting the four spot. And then as the year kind of progressed, Louis Scola took over that four spot. And, and you know, it was probably around what early 2008, like the, you know, the second latter half of the season where Louis Scola kind of took over. But then Carl Landry started you know, coming along as a rookie. And this was a game, a big game from the man himself, Carl Landry, had, you know, 11 rebounds off the bench, had seven points. This was maybe the start of like, the Skolandry era where shout out ah. to Warrell and, and, and Bullard and, and Clyde, you know, nick, coining that nickname, the, the Rockets one two punch at the four spot. And again, this was that start of like looking at the team thinking, yo, it doesn't all have to be on Yao and T-Mac, right? Like they've got other guys who know how to score the basketball. They've got guys who are athletic, right? And again, such a night and day difference to go from 38 million year old Juwan Howard the, the year prior into obviously Louis Scola, an older rookie, obviously, but you know, very polished, a great solid offensive game. You know, the 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 ice cream man himself, uh, with the with the oopsie daisy scoops here and there, all of that. And then Carl Landry, the inverse of that, right? Like Carl was at that point, he was all power, you know, just that complete like hustle guy around the rim, quick second jump, you know, could jump out of the gym, was aggressive on the offensive glass, would get you like a couple extra possessions per game at a minimum. And I just loved that dynamic that the Rockets had where they their top eight felt like their top eight could go against any other top eight in the NBA at that point, where they really started to lean heavily into Carl Landry off the bench. Luther Head was kind of their three-point specialist off the bench. And then, you know, situationally, they used, you know, Chuck some here. They used Deke some here, depending on, you know, what size they needed 
uh, coming off the bench, depending on what the, you know, the second unit looked like for other teams. And so this game kind of serves as that memory of, you know, team acting out did their thing. They scored in bunches. They were dominant defensively. They, they held new Orleans to just 80 points. Right. Which is absurd. Uh, at that point, best team, yeah. You know, best team in the West holding them to just 80 points was a very, very solid defensive metric. And again, 11th game in the win streak, you start really looking around and you're like, have the Rockets like hit gold here, right? Like, did they finally figure something out, right? With the roster adjustments, with the lineup transitions, kind of, did they finally find the right combination of players to really take this team to the next level? And that's what it, it felt like. I just could not fathom at that point how important that win was and how important it ends up becoming later on and how every win just became more important and the magnitude of every game as it was happening. But GM over to you now in regards to this against this game, against playing against the top team in the West at that point on the schedule, you know, socking them in the mouth, letting them know one time that we're not a team to be messed with. How did you feel after watching that game? From what I remember, I just remember how badly we struggled against teams like the Hornets, especially the top teams in the West specifically. I mean, the Hornets specifically, but that's a huge win. And looking at the box score, it was like, what, 28 points for Team 34 for Yao. That was mm-hmm. pretty big. Um, like Jackson said earlier, the Carl Landry, the Skull Landry aspect of it all. Carl Landry was starting to come out, and that's where he started to make his impact on this team. And if memory serves me correctly, I believe, like, I don't remember if it was during the winning streak or maybe after winning streak when Landry got hurt, he got shot, quote unquote, poor guy. And, you know, he got shot in the leg. Yeah. Yeah. And he he came, he came back like a couple weeks after. Yeah. But yeah. um, And also a quick note that was win 11. The next game was the game against Chicago. And then after that, everyone remembers that was when the announcement of Yao's injury. So when Jackson was saying that, like, if that was part of the moments where we felt like we had found the groove for this team, I would say yes. Because if you're not just beating the best team in the West, you're literally beating them down with a 20-point victory. I can really imagine the confidence that the team was feeling and rolling through at that point in time, especially with the two of their stars basically being the engines and being everything that we were expecting them to be. And with the growth of Scola and Alandri with Scola being inserted into the starting five and seeing how he was able to complement with Yao and T-Mac. That's huge, man. And with a victory like that, that's where you start to truly believe like this team is championship caliber. And that's how I felt. And unfortunately, that rug was pulled from under me very shortly after. But, you know, at the same time, that was one of those things where you can really hang your hat on and be like, yeah, this team was for real. And unfortunately, health had other things and other plans for that team. But a game like that is something that you can truly look at and be like, yeah, yo, this team had something. They had something very special and they had the right complement of talent for each other and to win they had all the offense and the defense. So this is a perfectly built team, almost to an extent. Rocket center. Yao Ming lost for the season. That was bigger than loss. I'm doing my career until right now. 
of my biggest, biggest of lost. We all believe, man. When you got a, a, a roster full of guys that really believe in themselves, I'm not surprised. Houston Rockets, the only teams in NBA history to win 20 games in a row. I just remember the heartbreak of, because that was going to end up being perfect segue into what we we're going to talk about next, which was going to be the Yao Ming injury, which just took the collective breath of the entire city of Houston along with the team and just realizing that after your 12th win against the Chicago Bulls and the acquisition of a Bobby Jackson and kind of inserting him into that lineup, the the loss of Yao could be felt not, it couldn't be just reverberated through the city of Houston, but through, through, through the entire NBA, the landscape of the NBA, all even around the world, considering that China was going to have the Olympic Games that year or yeah, that year in 08. So, Jackson, over to you first. Just in terms of this Yao injury, just my I remember exactly where I was. I was in geometry class. My 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 Nokia twenty two hundred Z, whatever they're called, goes goes off, and then I get and then I get a text. I get a text. Right, I get a text from the GM himself. He says, "Yao's out for the year." LOL, kill me. Something like that. Like, it was ridiculous. Like, I was just like, no, no, mm -mm, no way. I have to wait to get to computer class, you know, which is fifth period computer. And then I go online. I wait till the teacher turns her head. I go online and then boom, it's official. Yao's out for the year. Uh, I'm I I tell all the friends that are interested in the Rockets. We all have a collective moment of grief and uh, we we try to patch ourselves up and continue to truck forward. But Jackson, over to you now. This Yao injury, how was how significant was the impact of this injury to you? Franchise altering. It's not it's not a stretch to say that it was franchise altering. Um, eh, maybe not franchise altering. History defining because you know you look at like we've already alluded to a couple times here, right? Yao and T Mac could just never really be healthy with one another, and by the time they really felt like they had a supporting cast that was up to the challenge of helping them get to their championship aspirations, their bodies both started failing them, you know, at a, at an astounding rate. Um, obviously it was the following year after this, you know, magical 22 game win streak, the 08, 09 season, bringing in uh, Ron Artest, the artist formerly known as Ron Artest, Metal World Peace, all of that. And he had the Rockets incredible run, uh, you know, game seven against the Lakers, but you lose Yao in that series. You lost T-Mac way early on in that season. And you basically had the exact same thing where you're like, come on, like you just, you can't. And that was the year where the Rockets really, looked like they'd picked up like a true third piece for this Rockets team in picking up Ron Artest thinking like, oh, okay, this is like another guy who he can actually create some offense. And he's another like he, yeah, he's a three and D guy, but he can also, you can put the ball in his hands and it doesn't always look pretty at times, but I digress. I don't want to focus on the next season too much, but yeah, this was one of those. It was, it was like a shell shock moment where you're just like, what's happening? Like, like this Houston cannot have nice things. I was in school in yearbook class. I, w- I remember um, being in, we, we had this chance. Uh, I was a magnet student at Johnston middle school. Shout out to shout out Greyhounds. Um, and I remember being in yearbook class because the year prior I was an art student and then all the art students had a chance to take the new yearbook class and be in charge of designing the yearbook for the, for the entire year. So instead of taking an art class, we were the yearbook class 
um, and it counted as an art credit. And so we had access to computers and all sorts of stuff to like help piece together, like what we were doing. And I remember like, you know, sometimes we, we had a lot of free reign. And so I'd browse clutch fans and stuff like throughout the day. And I remember hitting clutch fans and seeing the news that Yao Ming was out for the season and being so depressed the rest of the day, just cause like, I didn't like, I couldn't, I couldn't fathom it that the season had been like, it had turned around. The Rockets were playing so poorly to start, couldn't get it figured out. And then they were in the midst of this, you know, insane win streak. And to have the rug like pulled out from under you and you think, okay, well, where do they go now? What, what do they do? Um, yeah, it was, it was really tough, but then like, lo and behold, they kind of rallied around the injury, right? Instead of letting it just defeat them instead of like, you know, giving up and hanging their heads and just, you know, rolling over and, you know, accepting defeat, they powered on and they kind of rallied around the fact that they didn't have Yao anymore. And they, they rallied around T-Mac as the true star of the team. And, you know, he really like turned it up a notch and became like, you know, probably the best version of himself that we, maybe not the best version of himself that we saw in Houston because T-Mac had some crazy stretches in Houston, but that said, like he was, he shouldered an, a huge burden for that team. Uh, and in a way that Yao injury kind of also opened the door for Rick Adelman, I think almost by necessity to see what else he had with different guys on the roster to try different, you know, variations of lineups, right? Like the, the de facto became, okay, Dikimi Mutombo is going to start, but he's going to play about like eight minutes a night. Like, let's just see what we can get out of him. Maybe four minutes to start each half or something. And, you know, he had to get really creative with lineups, right? We saw Scola run at the five. We saw Shane play some of the four. We saw, you know, some really heavy guard lineups with like, you know, Brooks and Bobby Jackson and T-Mac at the three. And we saw a bunch of random, you know, versions of this Rockets team and it worked like, and people were so bought into it because we thought the season was going to be over and then it just kept going. And I thought that was like, well, part of what made that win streak so magical. This th- that team alone, like you had, like you hit the nail right on the head. You ha- have asked forty nine thousand was it, what's your joke? Forty nine thousand year old uh, Juwan Howard. You had forty nine thousand year old uh, Dikembe Mutombo start. Yeah, like eight to ten minutes a night. See what he can give whoa, you. Whoa, whoa. If Juwan Howard was forty nine thousand year old, uh, forty nine thousand years old, Dikembe Mutombo was at least like eighty two thousand years old. Like I'm just putting that out there. <laughs> let's put it. Let's put it out there so the whole world could know. Dikembe Mutombo was yeah, he was definitely on the twilight of his career. I mean, I, th- I think for the poor poor guy. I think his leg literally really snaps like the following year in the playoffs mm-hmm. it's just so sad <laughs> such a sad way to go but he definitely did everything he could for his team and and in that moment like you said it became a rallying cry for this team to kind of truck forward and and move on and they look even after win number 12 and after he goes down they mollywop washington by 25 <laughs> they beat him nine it was like 94 to 69 like it was just mm-hmm. like one of those things of like dude like there's nothing that's gonna stop this train gm over to you now in regards to this to Yao being hurt but then also moving on from that like was there before we get to the la game which is obviously the big one was there mm-hmm. any game also before that, in between that time, that kind of stood out to you after that Yao, after Yao getting hurt? Well, okay, so with the Yao injury, I remember I was already out of school at that point in time. Um, I was a senior. I was only in. I was only there for four periods. I was out by noon, and I remember being at home and texting Kenny and seeing all of that and just how disappointed I was. But like you stated, like. Those next 10 games are Rick Adelman masterpiece in coaching and 
figuring out what were the right pieces in place to get a win that night. And that guy earned his money throughout those throughout those games. And I want to give a special shout out to a role player that had signed during the win streak, Mike Harris. Like Mike Harris was a very crucial part of success for that team, especially in the last like five, six games of that win streak. And if you remember the win 21, first and foremost, T-Mac played 48 minutes that game. So he did not sit only for timeouts, halftime. That was it. T-Mac played the whole game. I remember how exhausted he was after that game. He wanted it. I don't, re- I don't remember. I don't have the box score pulled up, but Mike Harris had himself a decent game. And I remember I was like, yo, former Rice Owl, H-Town repping Mike Harris. He was, he was the undersized power forward who came in and worked his tail off to earn a job on the team. And, you know, there was a lot of struggles uh, with everybody staying healthy, right? But kudos to him for making it happen and putting in hard work for that team. And, you know, shout out to Deke who was playing very limited minutes, but he made an impact for every minute that he was out. He made sure to make an impact. And, you know, that was, it was great. Scola Landry. We got the coming out party of, you know, when we welcomed Bobby Jackson post trade deadline, Bobby Jackson was a huge piece, man. And I'm going to insert this as well. I was a server at red lobster during that, (laughs) (laughs) during that year and within like a two week span, I meet Carl Landry and Bobby Jackson. That was something that was insane to me. I couldn't believe it. Gerald green was at that restaurant at one point too. And I was just like, dude, why are these guys hanging out at red lobster? There's no red lobster aficionados, Bobby Jackson, Carl Landry, and Gerald green. (laughs) There you go. Right. It was unbelievable. I I I mean, I hate the fact that you have to rub you have to rub salt in the wound knowing that you, you met all you've met all these guys. Let me just put it out there that I met these guys, by the way, because you always do this. You, you always have to bring somebody <laughs> up. Hey, I met J.J. Watt at Panera Bread. Hey, man, I saw George Springer at work. That's pretty cool. And I'm just like, gosh, man, just shoot me in the foot. Hey, man, I saw Carlos Correa the other day. Oh, my God. Bro, Hollywood like- JP. No, seriously. Like, uh, we think, hey, if we, man, we're hey, playing, we're playing the straws here. I'm just saying, man, Hollywood JP is a. It's a thing. If I have to buy into the persona, I will. But it's not something that I don't believe that I am ready for. I apologize, gentlemen. I'm not there yet. <laughs> Shout out to Don. He is the most Hollywood out of all of us. I'm not at that level yet. Maybe one day I may have met all these athletes. But hey, man. Hey, man. I'm not that cool. Not that cool. Right, guys. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, let's go ahead. and Let's move on now in regards to that. I asked him what game that stood out game 21. But Jackson, before we get to game 22, just any of these games that prior that had stood out to you before we get to game 22? You know, unfortunately, I don't have one again, because this this is, yeah, you know, this is 14 some odd years ago, right? It's um so of the notable ones in the game, right? It's it's that first game against the Wizards after um, the injury, right. Where it's the first game out of the gate. You're like, okay, like what are, what are we doing here? You know, what's this team going to look like without Yao? Maybe a, a bit of a somber feeling, um, you know, with this team, uh, but they came out of the gate and they, they crushed the wizards, you know, 90, 94, 69. Nice. Wasn't so nice for the wizards. Um, nice. And, and you know, they continued to mount that win streak and they kept, you know, powering through. I don't think there was necessarily another one in there that really like stood out as far as like a notable, game where I remember thinking like that. I don't like, I don't necessarily have a, a like, like frozen, like memory. Like I'm like scrolling through the list too, to make sure like there's not one that I remember 
so vividly. Um, I guess they picked up that other win against the New Orleans Hornets, which felt even better, didn't, not having Yao in that game um, a little bit later on in the season. Uh, I don't know which win that was, what win number 18 of the streak. Um, but yeah, I think the next most notable game, at least to me personally, was you know win number 22 against the Lakers. Let's jump into that right now, Jackson, right here over to you now. Game 22, here we go. Prime time. It got pushed up in a prime time Sunday afternoon. Kobe says we are ending the win streak today. T-Mac turns around and says, oh, you're going to end the streak, big boy? Gets the guys together, says, hey, man, let's sock these guys in the mouth. Let's show them who we are because Pau Gasol's on that team now. They're they're chugging along. This is the eventual Western Conference champions. Jackson, I want to turn it over to you first. Game 22, where were you when it happened? Impressions. Give us all you know. I was inside Toyota Center. Hey, no, for real. For real, I'm not the Hollywood one here. It is you, Jackson. (laughs) For real, I I have have told this story many a time. I will tell it many more times before my uh, eventual demise. Uh, This was hands down. It is one of my my formative Rockets memories. It is one of my most treasured memories. I was there at the game with my dad. And this was a game for the ages, right? You know, the win streak could have been, you know, could be dashed at any moment. We don't know how much longer this thing's going to go for. I forget when we got the tickets. I forget, like, if he, like, I think he, like, surprised me with them. He's like, hey, we're going to the game, like, Rockets, Lakers. And I was, like, ecstatic, you know, Kobe, T-Mac, all of this, so much hype. Obviously, the Lakers were, you know, just trucking along throughout the Western Conference at that point. Um, And lo and behold, Tracy McGrady lays an egg. <laughs> like it was, I mean, not quite, not quite, not quite goose egg, but this was one of the most hard fought competitive games between two teams. And you could tell like the Lakers were out for blood, right? They wanted to end the win streak. All the headlines were, you know, pointed at the Houston Rockets. Look at this team. This team is doing something insane. They're magical. They're the, they're the underdog story of the season. And you had Kobe Bryant coming in with that uh, again, you know, rest in peace Mamba, but that Mamba mentality, right? Of like, I'm going to end this win streak. Like we're ending this tonight. It's happening. (sighs) So many amazing moments from this game, man. man. Shane Battier matching minute for minute with Kobe Bryant. Um, Rafer Alston skipped to my Lou having the game of his career and then (laughs) dancing on Sasha Vujic to end things. Like the moment, I think, I think my favorite moment from this game, bar none, even though, Rafer going full skip to my loose street ball on, on Sasha Vujic is absolutely up there as like, you know, like, you know, the movie, like, right. Like the, the, the one with like the core memories where it's like core memory unlocked. Like yes. this was like, like this game was like core memory unlocked for me. It's, it's happening but, right now. It's happening literally right now. <laughs> um, but uh, in the midst of this game late in the fourth quarter, I believe it was, there was a loose ball and Tracy and Kobe both dove on the floor for it. And Tracy ripped that ball away from Kobe with the most intensity that I'd ever seen out of him in a basketball game to that point. Maybe it may be even more intense than he was when he drilled the, you know, the, the final three in 13 and 35, like that's how intense he was. And that was that moment where despite his box score, despite the fact that he had, you know, missed all of his threes, despite the fact that he could not buy a bucket that game, he was willing to dive and scrap on the floor and do whatever it took to try and win that game. And and it was that competitive blood, that fire. And I remember just being on my feet, yelling my lungs out. I couldn't talk the next day. Like I was, I was that like just decommissioned from screaming my lungs out at this game. 
And it was that moment where I was like, this team is special. Like, I don't care that they don't have Yao. I don't care that, you know, the, you know, all any, anybody that's, you know, worth a lick from NBA media, whatever, doesn't think they have a legit shot to win the title. This team has something special here. And that from that moment, I was like, I was completely bought in. And, you know, I was bought in earlier in the win streak, but it was that moment that like sealed it where it's like, this team can do something, even though they don't have, you know, arguably their best player, or obviously at least their second best player in Yao Ming at that point, because it could have been a toss up who you thought was number one and number two on that team. It was such an insane game start to finish. Triple J was in Toyota Center. Good Lord. I still have I the ticket from that. that game somewhere. It's in a box somewhere. Like I, I, I have the that. ticket stub. I really should. Like it's one of those. I, I, I'm sure most people have one of these. If not, I, I don't know. But like I'm, I'm very sentimental in that sense. I have like a, a couple boxes somewhere with like just old mementos of like, you know, movie tickets or like game tickets or whatever. And like just different stuff from like various stages of my life where I can like open that box and like take a stroll down memory lane and be like, oh, I remember this. I remember this. And, you know, it's just crazy to be able to like unearth uh, you know a bit of your past like that you're, you're right i should go find it and i should go frame it absolutely man the fact that he was in toyota center now so so we got the perspective inside toyota center now let's go outside toyota center now with the gm because i could tell you where the gm was not and i could tell you where i was not i was not in the building but the gm also was not in the building gm where were you when when 22 went down and what were your impressions of that game I certainly was not. I had actually worked the lunch shift at Red Lobster that day, and I had gotten off of work at around four o'clock. And I, what, what that he was to mention is that the entire team swung by Red Lobster on their way to win number 22. That's what he's forgetting to say. Yes. Yeah. I didn't want to tell everybody because I didn't want Kenny to feel bad. You know, Kenny <laughs> always gets, what I do, gets a little hurt whenever he finds out I've met an athlete. I'm and- sensitive. This is uh, <laughs> it's not a proud moment for me, man. You know, I shook hands with each and one of them. I told them, you guys better win this one for me. Okay. You know, I got y'all, y'all Caesar salads. I took care of it. Got y'all extra biscuits. I got you guys. Okay. Don't play with the biscuits. <laughs> but anyways, I, y'all, y'all are going to mess around and get a red lobster sponsorship on this podcast. <laughs> low key, low key, man. Low key. They're going to find out the that dream. I worked there. They're going to be like, oh, that guy, Justin. Yeah, he was great. He was a great server. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't think I'm much memorable. But anyways, besides the point, I remember going home that afternoon and being able to catch the second half and the energy inside that building. I can only imagine how it felt for you being there, Jackson. But on the TV screen, you could tell you could hear it. I remember they would even do like, you know how they do like the little decibel sound measurement thing. They did that inside Toyota center and it was pretty loud. You know, Ray for Austin quote, Jeff Van Gundy went out, went skipped to my loo and lost his mind had 31 points, man. Like that guy, that game was his game. Sasha Vujicic was not having any of it in that fourth quarter, but you know, I mean, I get it. You're losing. You're about to get, you're about to be another victim to this winning streak and pride was on the line at that point, but that was such an entertaining moment. And like you said, when T-Mac dived to the ground as well, that was a huge moment in the game. You don't see that from Tracy McGrady and it was him and Kobe Bryant down on the floor as well. So to see those two diving the rest, everyone else is like, dude, these are the stars. And these guys are throwing their bodies on the line on a random game in March. It just shows the magnitude of what it meant, not just for those guys, but for the game, that specific game in general, it was, I don't even know, man. I can't even put 
the rest of those feelings into words. I remember watching those games as being like, this is crazy. Once it got to 16, I was like, 16. That's insane. That, at that point in time, that was the longest win streak because of the 15 game winning streak to start the season 93, 94. And then it just became crazier and crazier. And 22 was just the peak of the craziness. And I can tell you the next game when we lost to Boston, I was at Hooters with my boys that I was with when we lost game seven. Shout out to Johnny and Chris. Love them to death. But we just don't win games and we're together, unfortunately. But that was a memory. Stop hanging out with them. Seriously, <laughs> yeah, dude. It's been I a long time. You were with I'm, them I'm at that ending, point. It's been a long time. Ending, I am ending your in-person friendships with them. I'm sorry. You can <laughs> keep, stay socially distant. Six feet apart and not at any, you know, Rockets games in the foreseeable future, please, for the love of everything that is holy. Sorry, boys. You heard it. You heard it from Jackson himself. But calm down before he puts on his jean jacket again. Jean jacket, guys. Calm down. <laughs> triple, triple, <laughs> triple J has spoken and, and the friendship is officially over. Okay. But for real, though, for, for real, though, in regards I feel like to- with you guys constantly dropping the triple J, like, I feel like I need to drop in like an, oh, brother, like, kind of like. It you know, sounds like I'm getting one of those. It sounds I'm all like a for wrestling it, thing, right? And I thought about that too when I was, so I was putting your intro together and I was like, man, Triple J, this sounds great. Like I need, like, this is a great setup for Jackson's future uh, wrestling career, whatever, whatever terms for me. He'll either be a manager or a wrestler, most likely a manager, but, but the, the mouthpiece regardless, Triple J right here. One time, one time for the wrestlers. But I just think, you know, just kind of culminating here just on regards to that 22 game win streak. Yeah, man. I I mean, I echo the exact same sentiments as you. I was at I was at another friend's house when I saw it go down and it was just nothing, nothing less than incredible. Bobby Jackson hitting, you know, being the unsung hero. He had 19 points. I think it was like seven of nine from the field. He has seven of nine from the field, big bucket after big bucket being worth every penny in that trade. Bonzi Wells had to go at that point and Bobby Jackson was just worth it. And T-Mac, well, it was so funny when y'all mentioned T-Mac and Kobe going on the ground. You guys remember, uh, well, obviously, Jackson, you weren't there, but like if you ever saw the replay, they, he go, they go down to the floor and Bob, Mark Jackson goes, there goes there goes 50 million on that floor. <laughs> I was like, yo, he's not lying though. <laughs> so like, basically, it's just crazy how much that they wanted it. Like you said, in a game that did not matter, in a game that in the grand scheme of things is just another game in the season. But to be to think about what the playoff atmosphere, that game did matter. That game did matter. It mattered everything because every game needed to be won in that wild Western conference. So ultimately, you know, to, cl- to close out the 22 game win streak here, last impressions overall from this 22 game win streak, Jackson, over to you first, how important was this in your life at that time? But now looking back on it now, 14 years, uh, almost 14 years ago to this point, just the impact it had on your life and where you are now, uh, you know, as a rocket's podcast creator and all everything that you've become but what is this like how does this memory serve to you now in like regards to that i will never forgive the boston celtics for ending the win streak <laughs> no i there, there's like it's there's a little bit of like selfishness in there where it's like had the boston celtics won you know not won right and had the rockets you know actually kept the win streak going then being at win number 22 is significantly less cool than being at win number 23 at that point so like being at the final game of the win streak before it ended will always be like a treasured memory for me. So it's like, yo, like I was there, but um, (laughs) it's definitely one of those where I think that, you know, these guys maybe had an idea that they, you know, 
maybe not necessarily that they couldn't like go far in the playoffs, but they were playing because they, they were a competitive squad. They didn't know what their, what their future was going to look like with this team. This was one of the times where like, kind of like with the, like the, we believe warriors, right. Where you had a team that become, became greater than the sum of their parts. And every, everybody everywhere would have written off this team as soon as Yao got injured. And yet they managed to reel off another impressive set of wins, making franchise history, being one of the best stories around the NBA that season. And yeah, I mean, I I don't have any other, any other parting thoughts other than just, you know, it was, it's unfortunate that it ended. It's beautiful that it happened. And it remains like one of the best, you know, Rockets memories that I get to say that I like lived through and was a part of. So Absolutely. Beautiful stuff. Very, very gracious words by by the man himself. But over to you now, GM, just lasting thoughts over here of this 22 game win streak before we move on. It was it was beautiful, man. Like at that point in time with the roster that we had, especially those last 10 games post Yao, it was just it was magic, you know, like what T-Max said. When we interviewed him talking about that win streak, he said, if you compare the rosters to all the other NBA teams that had at least 20 game winning streaks, that roster does not hold up in comparison to other teams. And it kind of just shows how special that team was and how special they were at that moment. Like they made everything happen game to game. I wouldn't say that it was like, Man, I don't even know. It was such a beautiful thing. That was my senior year of high school. Think about that. Like at that point in time, I was a teenager ready to just get out of there and being able to enjoy all of that at that juncture of time was just a wonderful thing. You know, like it, it was beautiful. Like you can't even describe it. Um, It's just unfortunate that we weren't able to capitalize on that momentum and take that into the playoffs. But in the grand scheme of things, I don't think it really matters. Like the 22 game win streak deserves to be held and put on a pedestal by itself. Despite the success of the season as a whole, like at that juncture of time, it's just not something that is normal. And not many people can say that they experienced their team winning that many games in a row. Maybe, the Warriors fans when the team started what 26, 27 and 0 that one year. But outside of that, like that's not a thing. And for us, I just think it's a beautiful memory for everybody, not just for the team, but for the fans of Houston. Like I thought it was just a crucial, crucial time for us. Absolutely. And this team ends up finishing out the season 55 and 27. I mean, they finished the season after the, the 22 game win streak and they go nine and seven the rest of the way. They ultimately finish with home court advantage and they ultimately go against who else but the Utah Jazz led by Darren Williams and Carlos Boozer and Mehmet Okor and Ronnie Brewer and Andre Karolinko and Gordon Girichek and Matt Harpering. I can't believe I remember all these guys' names off the shoot, off the cuff. Shows my disdain for them in a nutshell. Jerry Sloan, and we ultimately lose in six. Look, we don't need to go into too much depth on this. Obviously, the, the big part of this episode was the 22-game win streak, but... I just realistically didn't see a way we could beat them just without Yao. It was just, I just didn't see it. We pushed them to six games, but I personally didn't see a way that we could viably beat this 
Utah team that ended up actually being better than the prior year. I just didn't see the way that we could beat them. Jackson, how did you feel in regards to that? Did you feel like we could have beat them or did you feel like maybe it's just, it was a little too much for us? A little too much. Utah was never a good matchup for the Rockets. Um, I'm really, I'm really surprised that Utah team under Jerry Sloan and with all the talent that they had, I'm surprised they never like had a deeper playoff run. Um, I kind of would lob that, that Utah jazz team with, you know, Williams with Boozer, O'Kerr, AK 47, one of the greatest nicknames of all time. Unfortunately, Um, I'd lob that team up there with, ironically lob city Clippers as for one of the teams that like could never quite figure it out. And I can't really place why, right? Like they had so much absurd talent, Darian Williams, one of the top probably five point guards in the game for stretches of his career with Utah. Um, Maybe that's, maybe that's being a little bit generous, but I remember there was a very similar to the whole like uh team at Kobe debate, you know, raging throughout the mid two thousands. Um, <clears throat> Pardon me. I do remember that there was like a legitimate argument and debate between like Chris Paul and Darren Williams for a little while, right? Like, okay, which point guard would you rather take? And, you know, Carlos Boozer, you know, becoming one of the best power forwards in the game with Utah. Like that was like, I don't know why they never actually accomplished more than they did uh, with that team. But I I didn't like the Rockets chances going to that series. I wanted to be matched up with anybody other than Utah that year. And yet, of course, the way the cards fell, it was Utah. So ending the season on that note, you know, wrapping things up. That was T-Nac's infamous press conference, right? The, the one where he was at the, po- at the presser and he was just, I, I did my best. I couldn't do it, you know, and, and, you know, hadn't been able to overcome his first round playoff demons. And that was like, I, there, I'll, I'm not gonna lie. There was like a pit in my stomach because I was like, I don't know where this team goes from here. Right. T-Mac and Yao can't stay healthy. What do you do? Do you blow it up in the off season? Do you trade one of them? Do you run it back again? And Obviously, we'll have to revisit this another time, maybe for another rock perspective. Um, but yeah, it was it was a bleak moment to end the season, and it was definitely like after all the trials and tribulations, after the beauty of the twenty-two game win streak, to end it on that note did kind of sting. But at the same time, it's not just about the end destination; it's about the journey. You know, I think if you're if you're hung up as a sports fan about you know just titles and championships and you can't actually appreciate games one through eighty two and then all the playoff games you know in addition to that, um, what are we what are you doing here, right? Like you got to be able to appreciate the growth and the grind and what it takes to get to the promised land finally, which is why it's so it's so fun for me now to finally be on the like kind of on the bottom floor of a rebuild with where the current Rockets team is at. And the fact that we're going to be able to ride, hopefully this rebuild process to the top and see, you know, down the line, whether it's, you know, as early as three years down the line, whether it's a decade down the line, whatever it is, right. See Jalen green and company and whoever else is here still with this, you know, whatever version of the Houston Rockets we see down the line fighting for championships to see them finally like kick down that door, knock it down and win a title. Anybody who's been following this team as closely as the three of us do, for years and, you know, gets to appreciate the ups and the downs and the growing and the rebuilding and the trading and the signing and all these different things that play into what makes this team special. It's not just about, Oh yeah, they got the championship. It's so much more than that. And I think that's what sometimes people who aren't as bought into sports as we are, who don't really care, who kind of maybe fair weather fans who just tune in every so often, they don't really ride the highs and lows the way that guys like us do. And I think that's what makes this journey so special. And even though that season ended that way, it was still, an incredibly special season to be a Rockets fan. Could not have said it any better myself in regards to that, but GM closing thoughts on you in regards to that team and what, how special they were and how much they impacted you as well. 
that team showed a lot in the terms of overcoming adversity, first of all, with Yao going down. Like that team was just hard nosed and gritty. And our forwards were a huge part of that Scola and Landry. They were kind of like the knit and grit, including Chuck Hayes as well, in regards to where we came, where, where we arrived at um, as a team that was not respected in the sense, like a lot of those guys came from an area of where they were trying to earn their respect in this league, two of them rookies, right? But overall, like Jackson said, the beauty of the journey is what was important. Despite the disappointment and losing in six to Utah, we all kind of had that idea. We all kind of understood the assignment at that point. It didn't hurt as bad as 2007, but you'd never want to see your team lose like that at the end of the day. But unfortunately, that's how it happened. But for all of us, we're able to look at the big picture and appreciate what had happened despite the disappointment. So overall for me, it wasn't, the season was not a disappointment. There was so much beauty in the journey and so much to experience in regards to the regular season and everything that we had saw and how the team just fought everything tooth and nail. They just never gave up despite the injuries. It was just, it was a wonderful sight to see and you couldn't have been prouder of the team, right? To see the way that they had fought throughout the rest of that year. And even then, like in game five of that playoff series, we were down 3-1 and they could have just laid an egg at home. But those guys made sure to send the fans home happy after a game five when they blew out the Jazz. And I remember Bobby Jackson had, had a, himself a game that game. I remember he was on three after three. And that was something else, man. That was something to cheer for, for sure. But, you know, despite all of it, it was unfortunate. And we just didn't know exactly what was going to happen with Yao. But luckily, in 0809, the team became significantly better with the addition of Ron. But at that juncture, it was just kind of like where we just weren't sure. But at the end of the day, I was just happy to have experienced it overall. Yeah, I was I was really proud uh, to just kind of wrap this whole thing up in a, a very beautiful bow. Uh, just this was great, just a great experience. The twenty two game win streak. I think it's something that, man, if you just need that little nostalgic punch to the gut, like that's just what you play, man. You just look up. You look up game twenty two. You look up the documentary where where amazing happened. Shoutouts to the Rockets for putting a great documentary together. Um, that's where you go when you kind of need those pick-me-ups and especially in, in, in this day and age with this Rockets team, with this fandom and, and you have this whole new wave of fans and they're all coming and they're all coming in. A lot of these teenagers and, and crazy thing is, you know, they were probably still infants or toddlers or even little kids when this happened, like to be able to kind of to be able to know that the three of us kind of share that we share that bond, knowing that we were there is big time. And like I said, the following year ended up being wonderful. We got finally, finally got the monkey off our back of getting out of the first round. But that's a future episode, a future rock perspective to be uh, determined in the future. But 
in regards to this, just to kind of wrap this up, I think it was great. It was beautiful. It was a great experience. 22 game win streak. Like you, you, you stack it up against all those other teams. Miami heat beat that win streak, but goodness gracious, you know, Chris Bosch, Dwayne Wade, LeBron James, you're talking about the 33 win Lakers with hall of famers all across the board. You named that trio in like the opposite direction. Anybody else would have named that trio, dude. What is with that? What do you mean? Like how it you went? You went Bosch, Bosch Wade, first. LeBron. Oh, I'm like, what, what I don't know. <laughs> it was my it was my thought process. I don't know. I, you know what? Are you Christmas? counting down three, two, one, or like what? Like I don't know. That, that, <laughs> that took me by surprise. I was like, really? Like that's, that's my the story. Go with this. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Three, two, one. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I should think- I shouldn't have given him that out. That's on me. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for the out. I appreciate it. That's why that's why you're my boy. Love you, Jackson. Um, I just think that, you know, overall this, this team should had no, maybe no reason to get 22 games and nonetheless, they did it. Beautiful stuff, beautiful season. And that pretty much caps off the end of our first rocket perspective for this off season, which we're so appreciative of Jackson, my man, such a great friend of the summit. Great host and even better person right here. Triple J, thank you so much for returning back to the summit to us. Any last words here before we go home here on the pod? Uh, this was a total blast. It's always fun, you know, getting to talk Rockets with you guys. Um, two of the best people to talk basketball with, but obviously Rockets basketball um, is what we really enjoy talking about. But uh, you guys need, like, if you're not following these two, if you're listening to this podcast, I assume you're following these two guys, but you absolutely should be following these guys. They're two of the best to do it in the business. One of the top, one of the best Rockets podcasts on the market. Um, yeah, you, do, you don't find this kind of Rockets talk elsewhere. Like, I think it's a very unique perspective that you guys bring to the table and, you know, I, I want to see you guys continue to grow and continue to grind and uh, become the best version of yourselves that you can be just like that 2007, 2008 Rockets team. Man, you had to, dang, you had to do it like that. Goodness gracious, Jackson. All right. Well, well, GM, I don't think it's pointless to ask you what to say. I mean, just... <laughs> go ahead and close it out, GM. <laughs> man, Jackson, that was really humbling. I don't know what else to tell you, man. That was, uh, I, Anytime I really need some form of affirmation, positive affirmation, I know who to go to now. If I need to feel good about myself, I'll make I've sure. Know, to I've, I've known this from call day Jackson one. Gatlin. You already know. Locked, man. On, locked on words of affirmation right here. There you go. There <laughs> you go. There you go. That, that, that The next podcast. I'm all for it. You know, um, the close this out. I just want to say, you know, thank you again for coming. You know, we appreciate you so much for taking the time out, hanging out with us. It's always a wonderful time to hang out with you, Jackson. Um, for anyone that is listening, listen to them. Clutch City Control Room. They're where it's at, too. Um, they got a lot of good Rockets content over there. You got the CEO literally sitting with us right here. Founder <laughs> himself. What? You already know, man. So so there you go. There you go. The man, the myth, the legend, Jackson Gatlin, Triple J. <laughs> I don't care what anyone says. I'm going to make this nickname stick. Triple J at the summit has, <laughs> has met us. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, if if you have not checked out Clutch City Control, be sure to check them out. They're pumping out some of the best Rockets content out there as well. And like I said, this is just great stuff. We're all like combining powers. We're like the Voltron 5 over here. A four, five, or something like that. I don't know. We're always combining powers at some point, and hopefully, uh, hopefully, in uh, next week, uh, some powers can get combined, and we can get a number one overall pick, or maybe two. We'll bring all kinds of good juju to the draft lottery. Absolutely. It's going to happen. Real quick before we go, real quick before we go home, Jackson. Next Tuesday, what pick do the Rockets land on? Don't even think. 
Number three. It hurts, my, but that's what I think is going to happen. <laughs> it, it hurts. <laughs> I, I have, I have built it up in my mind where I'm just like, I want to be greedy. And I want to say, yeah, they're going to get the number one pick. I feel number three in my bones though. The more that I keep, like the more that I think about it, I think it's going to be mm-hmm. number three. Man, he just took the words right out of my mouth. GM over to you quickly. I want drama. Number two. Stop. I want drama. I want to see, uh, <laughs> whoever gets number one, I really hope they pick Chet because I really want to see how <laughs> oh, everyone's going to react for a good like 10 minutes during the draft, whether or not it's going to be Paulo or Jabari. Like, I really want to see it. I hate to say it, but that's what I want to see. Um, I want- that's that's purely for my own entertainment, though. You, you don't think there'd be more drama at pick number one? I think that's like the I yeah. think that's the, the divisive pick this year, because I think if yeah. you go back to last year, right, the number one mm-hmm. was more than likely going to be Cade. I think mm-hmm. he was, you know, walked away as the consensus. And I still, you know, this might be an unpopular opinion to tuck away here at the end of the podcast. I think if the Rockets had number one, they might have been willing to take Cade number one overall. Like, obviously, there were some rumors about them maybe wanting mm-hmm. to trade up for him, all of that stuff. Yeah. So, Number two is why it got so divisive because it, it was between Mobley and Green Gang for the entire like lead up to the draft process. This time around, mm-hmm. though, with all three of there's like equal camps for Jabari, for Chet, and for Paolo. So it's I feel mm-hmm. like if you get the number one overall pick, you are going to get a like three way turf war in Rockets Twitter, and that's going to be the most possible drama. <laughs> so for drama merchant JP over here, I think he wants the number one overall. Pick. <laughs> it's going to be like a, a more entertain, well, not entertaining, but you know, a more modern version of West Side Story. You know, we're gonna have gangs oh on gangs on gangs fighting. We're gonna have like a dance battle going on. You know, I'm recording a musical a musical locked on Rockets coming to a podcast near you. <laughs> All there right, you go. Straight up, Justin. Justin plays a great baritone. I do a great tenor too. That <laughs> already provide you the musicality that that you need. That's all you need. Whoever wants to jump on that in the future, just let us know. It's going to be a whole Broadway production. We're bringing it on. Locked on musical. It's coming. Um, but yeah, I guess for me to round it out. Uh, no, I, yeah, I, I'm right there with Jackson. Of point number one. Wait, because, I have to derail it one more but, time. Did you mean? Did go. you mean to say? Did you mean to say bring it on at the end there? Because that was a perfect like way to tack that in as well. No, right? bring it on. That. Like there no, we go. Like an- yeah. another musical. So there we go. <laughs> I actually did not. But wow, I didn't even think about that. Man, Jackson, just always the, the thinking man. Number three overall for me. That's just the best way to to tie it up. I, I want no drama. I want it out of our hands. If Powell's available, Powell's available. Jabari's available. Jabari's available, and I, I just don't want to just don't want to deal with it. But you know what? I, we're we're gonna ride with we're gonna ride with it no matter what, and it's gonna be a great a great day, and we're gonna be uh, hosting something for that as well, which we'll be talking about in the uh, actually we can uh, we'll, we'll plug it in later, but we're gonna be definitely setting something up for that. Mm-hmm. And we are very, very excited to uh, put that out there. But anyways, thank you once again to everyone that's been listening. Thank you to Jackson for meeting us at the summit. Once again, you are the man. You are the myth. You are the legend. Thank you, sir. We appreciate it. He's on fire. The summit for, 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 for life.